Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for the mid-career professional. I'm Kat, and how are you doing, Liz? I'm great, Kat. Uh, good to be here. I'm excited on behalf of both of us to welcome Kelly Thompson, who is a speaker, a coach, an author, and an HR executive. Uh, she left the corporate world to pursue her passion for helping women advance their careers. And Kelly's driven to help more women make it to the boardroom, advance their careers, and bring their best, most authentic selves to the office. Uh, today, we're going to focus mostly on a very important topic for everybody, which is salary negotiation. Uh, but we do have a few other topics to cover with Kelly as well. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Kelly. Please tell us in your words how you got to where you are today. Oh, gosh. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know, I got to where I am today because I started, um, like many women do, I started in banking and I'd spent 15 years in banking and did sales and then was in sales training, leadership development training, and then eventually kind of got into HR where I got my feet wet on a lot of the things I know that you were all experienced in. But um, how I, I really didn't notice at the time was how like male dominated banking was. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it was. It was mm -hmm. normal to look up and be like, oh, oh, the leaders are men because this is normal. And as I got into human resources and leadership development, one of the things I really loved was how women would come into my office because they were curious about a job and they wanted to apply, but the confidence wasn't there. They weren't sure how to negotiate salary. And I loved these little conversations. I don't think I realized how much I loved them. Well, after I left banking, I went to go work for a technology company. Again, I oversaw human resources. And then I actually went to go work for an author and a leadership development consultant and was traveling all over doing leadership development training. I got tired of being on the road. But one of the things that had started to become part of my job was she said, hey, a lot of these folks that are in our training, they want one-to-one -one coaching. She's like, I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> so I started taking all this one-to-one -one leadership coaching off the side. And I was like, oh, I love this. It reminded me of the days of which, you know, I would kind of be coaching people on the side as an HR person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went off on my own, started my own leadership coaching practice in 2019. The pandemic hit and it hit me hard, just like it did every other business. And as I was standing there filling out my application for unemployment and PPP, and I had no more money coming in, I'm like, you know... I'm like, if this, if I literally can't lose any more money and this can't get any worse, like, what do I really want to be doing? Who do I really want to be coaching? Because at that time I was kind of just coaching everybody. Yeah. I, like, I want to help women. I want to help more women. Like I did that, you know, time in HR really show up and speak up and ask for what they deserve because, you know, I know what it's like to be a woman in a male dominated environment and not be taught some of these skills, not talk about some of these skills. And so really since that time, it's really been my mission to help women advance the rooms where decisions are made and I never looked back. And here we are. Mm, that's wonderful. So awesome. It's so, so awesome. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone who was like, you know, it's just hard being the only one in the room. And mm -hmm. like I pointed back at them, like, it's hard to be the only one of anything in a room. But mm -hmm. yeah, like I, you know, am fully supportive of not having anyone be the only one. But if you are the only one having support on the side of people like you uh, really helps strengthen that position and that ability to kind of voice yourselves. Yeah. I mean, so much research shows well, that, you know, when you're the only one in the room, it really reduces psychological safety. It makes it really hard mm -hmm. to speak up. So I wholeheartedly agree. That's why it is my mission to get more women to the rooms, because when you're the only one, whether it's a person of color, a woman, or, you know, whatever that looks like for you, mm -hmm. it, it's easy to remain silent. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm -hmm. Or try to blend. Yes. 
Try not to stand out versus be yourself. Yes. For sure. So Kelly, I just love your mission of bringing more women into the boardroom uh, and into the executive ranks. Um, But I have to ask kind of as a broader question, like what are your thoughts on lean in and the whole women can have it all and all of that, that I think has somewhat stymied women's ability to get into those higher levels and higher seats. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because, you know, when I was pitching my book to my publisher, that was a big Mm -hmm. stand that I took was how this book wasn't like Lean In. You know, Lean oh, In was, I remember I remember reading Lean In. In fact, I remember listening to Lean In on my audio book when I was like working at the office and I was like, ooh. And you know what? What Lean In does is it helped me go, oh, okay, you know what? I need to be conscious of speaking up, taking up space, using my voice, et cetera. Where I think some folks have over-rotated on the Lean In is almost buying into a hustle culture of sorts mm-hmm. yes. that I need to do all the things. I need to be all the things. I need to overwork mm-hmm. myself. And one of the things that I really talk about in my book is like, that's not sustainable. And that actually is contributing to a lot of unpaid work and it's expanding the pay gap because mm-hmm. you know not only are women exhausted and burnt out and leaving corporate America in record rates because you know we go to work and we do our jobs, but also we get tasked with more administrative, non-promotable tasks than men. We're running the employee resource groups, running the office Mm -hmm. errands, we're taking the notes and meetings. And so that's work on top of our work that's not being paid for. And then Mm -hmm. when we get home, you know, all the research shows that we're doing more work at home as well. And so it's just not sustainable. And one of the questions, because I don't I I always say that like I feel like I just don't have the same energy level as as some folks is I've always asked myself, is this sustainable? And that's mm-hmm. the question that I really want and I really encourage my clients to think about is is your level of current performance sustainable? Is it aligned mm-hmm. with your values? Because you know what, you can lean in really far, but like if you lean in too far, you're gonna tumble and fall over. So like it's all about like having those healthy boundaries to say, Mm -hmm. how can I show up and contribute in a way that feels good to me so that I don't burn out and I'm giving the best to myself and my family and the organization as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because I... And, and Kat um, has heard me talk about this book that I read that I, was life-changing for me called The Ambition Decision. Mm-hmm. And I think the key to leaning in is the support system around you. Mm-hmm. What, what do you have in place? You know, school gets out at 3.30, work doesn't end at 3.30. Like what, is, what are the systems you have in place to support your leaning in or your ambition or your mm-hmm. climbing up the corporate ladder? Because if you think you can do it without an army behind you. Oops. Like it's just not, it's just not possible. Right. Because the orthodontist is only open from eight to four. Mm -hmm. So people have to go to the orthodontist and like, I agree with you. I think lean in, you know, open doors and opened ideas, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it under um, emphasized the fact that you need a ton of support in order to be able to do that because for anything in your life, whatever you have going on, it just takes a lot around you to support you going for that. Just for a man. You have to have the boundaries in place in order to be able to lean in effectively without tapping out. Right. Exactly. And if you don't want to burn out, probably, you know, leaning in and going for the executive position, the year you're PTA president, not a good idea. Yeah, I often ask, I ask women in the book, there's a there's a framework that really encourages them to ask, what can I dump? 
Like, what am Mm -hmm. I doing? What did I take on during the pandemic that literally I don't need to do anymore? Or Mm -hmm. like, what things did I say yes to for my kids' stuff that I can literally just dump? What can I delegate? What can I delegate to my children? And what can I delegate? Like for me as a single mom for a long time, like I was already working, taking care of my daughter, cleaning the Mm -hmm. inside of my house. And I'm like, I cannot mow my lawn. Like no, in this neighborhood wants 20 bucks to mow my lawn. And like all of the high school boys, you know, crept out of the the woodwork. But like, what can I dump? What can I delegate? Not Mm -hmm. just at home, but at work. But I don't, I love that you're bringing this up because really successful women know the power of outsourcing. Oh, yes. Outsource. Like not only like, can I outsource meal prep? Can I outsource things at the office? Can I outsource administrative tasks? Like we have to like start to recognize Mm -hmm. like, you can't, you can't do it all. Like you have yeah. to have an army of folks around you. And that includes using all of your resources to delegate and outsource. And, yes. and the ability to say no. That's yes. it. <laughs> right. So you got, you got to say no so that you have room to say yes for the big yeses. Right. Yes. hundred percent. Right. And it doesn't that. mean that every email that cut, like yesterday, my daughter's robotics team, we really want more helpers. Now I brought a meal for 60 people on a Saturday to that robotics team. And I checked the box so big and I was like, done. And I do not want to be on the helper committee, whatever the heck it's called. I'm like, Lexi, tell me where I need to send some cash. Like I am not joining that even though they want me to. Mm-hmm. And you feel a little bad because robotics has been awesome for her. And I think robotics is phenomenal. That's a different topic, but it's a capacity no. issue. It's a capacity no. issue. Yeah. I can't do it. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, me would have, Yeah. But I think you just demonstrated though, perfectly for everyone of how you offered help in alignment with your values. mm -hmm. I value robotics. This is helpful to me. So this is what I can do. What I can't do is make a home cooked meal, show up, do it every week. And so it's like, what does help look like that feels good to me Uh in alignment with my capacity and my values? You know what? That looks like ordering Chick-fil-A and having it delivered, you know, enjoy your nuggets. You know, it's like, how can I, you know, do both and, and I just love Mm -hmm. how you kind of demonstrated, like we can help, you know, in a way that still feel good, feels good for us so that we don't feel resentful on the other end, because if you're feeling resentment, that's a huge clue that you're probably leaning in too far and you're about to Mm -hmm. fall over. Right. And there's yes. probably there's probably ramifications of that in your life if that's where you're at. And they're probably not ramifications that you want. Mm-hmm. And by by saying no or making an adjustment, then that isn't aligned. Then then that's aligned. Yeah. So that's so how do you coach when someone says, like, you know, I feel like I'm at capacity, but I want to get to the next level? Like how how do you coach mm-hmm. them over that hurdle? Yeah. So when somebody is already coming in and they're burnout and they're like at capacity and they're exhausted, but they're still kind of wondering how they can get ahead. Um, that doesn't happen a lot because usually they are ahead and they just don't even know how to sustain it. Mm. So when somebody comes into my coaching practice and this is where they're at, they are burnout, they're overhelping, they're overdoing, maybe they got promoted and they're like, I just don't even know and this is going to work. Where we start is we start with the place that makes them feel most resentful. I'm like, what is, you know, I'll back up. Lots of times these women don't know what they want. It's so hard. They're so overwhelmed. But when I say, you know what, what do you no longer want? They can list like 10 things. Oh, I know. I no longer want this, this, and this. So we start with the place and I ask them, I go, where in your life do you feel the most resentful? Because that's usually a clue that your values have been crossed. It's usually a clue that you're doing work outside your genius zone. And it's usually like the lowest hanging fruit of where we can just start eliminating some things. And we start with eliminating just that. 
I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert that said in her book, Big Magic, that like a woman can change her life simply by cleaning out her sock drawer. Because we all know, like once the sock drawer is clean, like, gosh, the rest of this closet's a mess, you know? And so it's like, we're just going to start with the sock drawer. What's that one thing that makes you feel so resentful? Let's set a small boundary. Let's say no, let's get a win. And like, let's use that momentum to help bring your life back into alignment. And you know, what we're also working on at that time is defining their values. Because they're probably feeling so resentful because they're living and working outside their values. What is their genius zone? Where should they be spending their time and where they need to delegate things outside their genius zone and all the mindset stuff that comes with it. But I just really love starting at that one spot. Like let's clean out the proverbial sock drawer. Right. Yeah, but we all know how a clean sock drawer makes us feel so good, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, you feel empowered. I said, no, I cleaned it up. It feels good. It gives you momentum. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So let's um let's let's switch gears a little bit. We we wanted to talk today about um a, a something that impacts everyone, salary mm-hmm. negotiation, right? So what do you think salary should when do you think salary should be first discussed in the job search process? You know, I love it at the very beginning. In fact, I am in love with all these salary transparency laws. I mean, again, as a former HR person, like It would have been so helpful to me. And like what I tell folks all the time, you know, when they're looking for a new job or they're negotiating something, I'm like, listen, I can tell you as a former HR person, I talked about money all day long. For me, Mm -hmm. talking about money was like talking about the weather. Now for you, I understand this is really like nerve wracking, but I just want you to understand that on the other end is somebody that's like, this is literally just part of the job. So like... (laughs) I was never offended as an HR person on the discovery call or as a recruiter when somebody said, so what is the range for this position? Mm -hmm. I'm so glad we asked because you know what, if we're not a, if we're not a match, it's expensive for me to keep interviewing you and it's a waste of your time to keep Mm -hmm. going through the process. So I say like, put it in the job posting and let's just ask it up front. Right. I, a hundred percent. Yes. I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to talk about it in that first call. Cause you know Mm -hmm. what, if you want 800 and I'm paying one, Moving on. It's been nice to know you. Like, Mm -hmm. and I've done that, you know, the issue I find now is in the remote first world where salary ranges for Omaha are very different from New York city. Mm -hmm. And so then someone in Omaha is like, Oh yeah, I want that. And it's like, yeah, that's not for you friend. Um, You know, those can be awkward conversations, but again, if you're transparent and I, you know, and so I guess, what I do is I'm like, yeah, but you're in Omaha and mm-hmm. that's for New York City or what have you. And so I just transparently say why it is what it is. What do you tell the person who's talking to me who wants the top? And I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. And so I think that's where like even in my job as a coach and having my HR experience, it's a little mm-hmm. bit of education. So the first step that I really tell folks to do when they're negotiating salary is let's pull in the data and let's pull in healthy data. Let's pull in good data. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a lot of data out there now with salary transparency, but I always say, make sure that you're looking for jobs in your region, like mm-hmm. Omaha, Kansas yeah. City, Des Moines, right? right? If that's where you're at, or, you know, if you're looking in Sacramento or um, San Jose, a little different New York. So let's just go out to pay scale.com glassdoor.com let's go look at linkedin let's go see some jobs posted in my area with some similar ranges mm-hmm. i can drill down by region i always love to tell folks just go out to your state's um, bureau of labor S- statistics they all have wage estimate systems and that's like government reported data of what jobs are making in your area so it's pretty mm-hmm. accurate 
So like, let's just start with the data and just see where we're at. And I think that that's a healthy place to start. And I tell folks, listen, all organizations have typically a compensation philosophy in Mm -hmm. which they make market adjustments based Mm -hmm. on the location of that person. So just Mm -hmm. know (laughs) that as someone in Omaha, you are probably not going to get offered a New Yorker's salary. So just be prepared for that. And I think, you know, addressing it up front, they understand that makes sense. Cool. What if the posted salary is less than or more than people expect? What do you suggest they do? You know, uh, well, if it's more than they expect, I mean, that's usually not a problem. But if it's less than they expect, um, and let's say that they really want the job, but I always tell them, I'm like, if you really feel compelled to apply to this job, apply. I'm like, we're not even getting married yet. In -hmm. fact, we're not even going on a date. Okay. We just swiped right on Tinder. So like- Go in, ask some questions. You know, I've personally experienced where I went in and applied for a job that I was really interested in and the range was not quite there, but like it was such a match that they actually bumped the range up a little bit. They had the authority to do that. I had another client who same thing happened. She was just really intrigued by this job and the company and what they did in the process, because she was pretty transparent up front, is they just switched it from like a manager title to a director title to like get that range yeah. up a little bit. I've just seen it happen too often where things get adjusted along the way. So I always tell folks like there is no harm in putting your name in and going on a discovery call and getting curious. So we're not getting married yet. Like mm-hmm. we're just we're just swiping right. We're just having conversations. Totally. And I think but. And I think if it's, you know, within a twenty-five to $50,000, yes. if it's with it, if it's more than that, yeah, it's going to be rough probably. Excellent and, point. and the, and the job, the, I think the clarifying thing for me, at least is the work they would need to be done. Isn't the work you want to do. Like mm-hmm. they need that lower level stuff. So if they're willing to totally bump up, you're probably going to be doing some of the other stuff because that's what they needed first. So you just have to be aware that too big a jump is going to prop may lead to lower job satisfaction, even if it worked out. So wise to take a look at the level of work. So fun fact, when I was in my HR days, um, I used to be in charge of writing job descriptions and leveling jobs and assigning Ugh. levels to jobs based on the level of work. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you called that out because you're right. It's like, if we're just talking 10 grand, maybe 15 grand is, but look at the work. Like, are you leading, designing, Mm -hmm. directing, or -hmm. is the job calling for implementing, assisting? And, Mm -hmm. you know, look at those verbs because that will give you a sense of like the level of the work, because if the level of the work is not where you want it to be, like, don't go there. I'm so glad you called that out. Yeah. Cause the job description is written for a reason. And so that it's the reason is this is what we need to get done. So they may fall in love with you, but they still need that to be done. Get get it done. Um, Okay. So we're talked a little bit about what, you know, how to look at your local data and stuff like that. What are some other top tips that you have for people to get the most out of their salary negotiations? Yeah. So what I tell folks is that, you know, organizations want to know what you are going to be contributing to them. Sure. You know, they're not as concerned with your personal situation. I've seen people Uh try to use their personal situations to negotiate. Please don't. So what I tell my clients is, is I want you to think about your top five to eight career successes. And this, you know, hopefully you've just refreshed your resume. So you have some of these fresh, but I want you to really think about what are the skills that I bring to this position and what are the results that 
my current company, if I'm negotiating my salary or a potential company could get from these skills. And I think just really like painting the picture for them because I do this, that's resulted in X, Y, Z. This helped us increase revenue. This helped us reduce expense. This helped us reduce risk. You know, companies really care about, can you increase my revenue? Can you save me money? Can you reduce my risk or can you help me lead change? And so I think those are just four kind of nice little buckets that you can say these skills helps me do these things. And I can do that for you too, to help demonstrate, like I'm worth the salary that you're going to, to pay me. And I would say the last tip that I always give folks is especially women, because I saw this a lot is you've done your research. You've presented your unique skills and what value those skills bring to the organization. I want you to practice your ask and make your ask. I -hmm. believe this role, you know, is worth $150,000 and just pause. Mm -hmm. No backtracking. No, well, you know, if you can't do that, just make, know your worth, make your ask and be silent. I will tell you, uh, as the woman on the other end of that call, when they're like, or, but if I'm like, shh, Mm -hmm. you shush, Mm -hmm. you shush, you asked, I can probably do it. It's cool. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree. Just ask for it, put it out there and see what Mm -hmm. they come back with. Um, what if that range is way more than you make now or thought you would make in the role? Because I've had some people be like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, oh man, you'd be getting a huge raise if you got mm-hmm. me. Like they, they show their cards. Yeah. So how do you suggest people address that? So one of the things that I think is really important for women and especially people of color to remember is that it is likely that you've been traditionally underpaid. In fact, that's why all of these Mm -hmm. uh, salary transparency laws have been passed is because what they found, and the other thing too, is many states have banned the ability to ask what you've previously made in your Mm -hmm. jobs because Mm -hmm. what they found is that creates an anchoring effect. Um, Ooh, Kathleen was only making 50. Well, I was going to pay 80 for this, but I bet I could get her for 60. Mm -hmm. And so it continues this cycle of underpayment. And so to your point, Liz, it's like, you know, then when they see this big range, they're like, oh my gosh. And lots of times, and what I tell my clients is they say yes to the first offer because it is so much more than what Mm -hmm. they are currently making, even though maybe the job offer is still in the lower end of that range. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things I really work on with my clients is one, educating them on this. You know what? Like really know what is the market rate for this job? You know, Mm -hmm. look at that market range and don't be surprised if maybe it is significantly more than you're making now. Let's not use what we're making now as an anchor. And so part of that too is just owning their composure in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you just described is something that I really like to work on with my clients and just helping them know as part of that discovery process, what is the range for this job so that you're probably not going to be as surprised (laughs) When you mm-hmm. hear that number, and if you are, right, just keeping your composure, recognize, <laughs> you know what, Stay perhaps cool. I have been underpaid for a while, and I shouldn't just say yes to an increase because it's an increase. It's asking yourself, but is this aligned to market? Yeah. Well, and different industries pay different things. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you can take one job and move industries, and all of a sudden it's a bump in either direction, and, and you have to make personal choices for you. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't show your poke, you know, poker face. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, that, that'd be good. Yeah. I had an old boss out. who used to love to just say that, you know, in those moments, you just go, oh, good to know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that, that works. That works <laughs> and then fun. you get off the call and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So let's talk about what can and can't be negotiated. 
Like, for example, people will try to negotiate extra vacation days, but usually that's not an option because there's a company policy around that. But mm-hmm. maybe you could speak a little bit to um, the items that you encourage people to negotiate on. Yeah. You know, I am so glad we're talking about this because in this whole, are we remote? Are we hybrid? <laughs> are we in person? You know, some of the stuff used to be negotiable, but the first thing I always tell my clients is, really try to understand what the compensation philosophy is for that organization or the benefits philosophy. And you can do this by first going to their website. Mm -hmm. It always shocks me how often people would come and interview with me as an HR person without looking at like our benefits on our website. Like they were literally right there. So make sure you go and you look to see what are they offering? Are they offering certain PTO or unlimited PTO or, you know, certain work arrangements or other flex perks or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's not explicitly like on their website, I've had people ask me, Hey, do you have any place that you can point me that talks more about your benefit package? And actually we did have a nice little one page or PDF that we'd send people. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, you know, I first understand their compensation philosophy or like their benefits philosophy. What do they tend to promote? Because you're right. At some organizations, you may be able to negotiate PTO if you come in at a much higher level. Some do PTO based on years of experience. Some do PTO based on what job level you are. So you just kind of need to know that and understand how flexible they might be. Um, The other things that you can negotiate, though, is sometimes you can negotiate some hybrid strategies, although that is like fluid. I would just tell folks, like, I feel like that is a very fluid thing right now. Um, you know, you can negotiate other things in terms of just like, you know, like job perks, job flexibility. Um, you know, so many organizations, it's just really interesting right now, the little things they're doing to interact employees in terms of, you know, being part of employee resource groups or offering Mm -hmm. just little things like dry cleaning, or I've seen, um, some companies now bring on, um, services that offer um, like concierge services. Like there's all these little things. And so what I tell folks is like, just see what they're offering and just see, you know, ask questions about those specific perks. But I really want folks to get a sense of what the philosophy is of the organization before they go in and try to really try to use hybrid work or remote work or even vacation days um, as a negotiating tool. Mm -mm. Well, it's all about company culture, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, you mentioned benefits. Like you're probably not, if they have Aetna and Kaiser, you're not going to negotiate for them to get Blue Cross. Like that's just not happening for you. Mm -hmm. But what's the employer contribution? What's the employee contribution? How good is the plan? Like none of that's negotiable, but that tells you a lot. And frankly, you know, my company right now pays full benefits for me and my family for a tier one plan. Mm-hmm. That's worth That's awesome. a ton of money. Absolutely. It is. So, the other thing they, that I've encouraged folks to negotiate is um, tuition reimbursement or career development reimbursement. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen some organizations offer a stipend on top yep. of an offer for that person mm-hmm. to invest in their development. Yep. And I just thought of that one. And that one has been a really lucrative one for folks lately. Mm-hmm. So I'll see if that works for folks. Yeah. And l- like, you know, my, if I get a new job at some point, like I'm going to go for a chief membership. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, Cause I, you know, those are expensive and I would like one. So yeah. I would put that into my offer, mm-hmm. but I do think you can't, there are things, you know, vacation plans are really hard. You're not going to have the Kelly vacation plan. It's the company vacation plan, but you can negotiate obviously around things like tuition reimbursement. What do you tell people on the salary? Like 
you know, what do you tell people around the basics of the offer? Yeah. And so what I've told them is hopefully salary has been a conversation this mm-hmm. whole time, right? If you're working mm-hmm. with, I think, a healthy company, a good recruiter, we've just been open about here's what the range is. Here's what I'm looking for. And so mm-hmm. here's what I tell folks. I can only speak from my own experience. Even when I really wanted a candidate and I would go to my CEO and I'd be asking for money and putting together all the things. And I would go and I would present this offer to the person. All I can tell you is that I still expected them to negotiate. I just had this thing in the back of my mind that they're probably still going to negotiate this. And you know, even lots of times men more than women still would try to like eke out a little more. So like what I tell folks is I'm like, Hey, you know what? Lots of times on the other end, they're still expecting you to negotiate. So I think even when you do get an offer, Take a look at it. If you've been really conversational with the person and this is exactly what you've been asking for and this is what's coming, like we can take the offer. But, you know, if you still kind of are getting the sense that we're still trying to meet in the middle, like truly trust your gut here. Mm -hmm. Trust your gut on how this has been evolving. Trust your gut on where you're at, what you've been asking for and where they're coming from. I have a client right now that is kind of in this process where they have been talking about salary, but even the companies just said, gosh, we've never had this role before. We're kind of taking a look and we're looking at some things and she's supposed to get an offer, I think today. And so in that case, we're going to look at it, but she's probably Mm -hmm. still going to go back and ask for a little bit more, but really trust your gut there. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about uh, difficult markets and some, some sectors like tech right now is, is more challenging. There's still some hiring, um, but I think people would say that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tougher market. What kind of advice do you have for people who are negotiating in a tougher vertical. Yeah. Well, I worked in banking in the 2008 recession and I was in human resources. And let me tell you, it was rough. Um, And here's what I've learned. Good people get hired, get promoted and get raises in difficult times all of the time. And so even if you are in a tech company or applying to be in a tech company, still negotiate. I mean, I always tell folks the worst they're going to say is no, because I've just seen it with my own eyes too many times. Good people get good increases, good promotions, Mm -hmm. even when things are difficult, when they are key talent. So will it be more difficult? Yes. Are you going to have some like headwinds you're going to have to pay attention to in terms of, okay, what's happening with this company culture right now? What are they giving Mm -hmm. in terms of a percentage of increase of raises? Are they giving raises at all? I mean, you're going to kind of have to know politically what's happening, but I still Mm -hmm. think it's worth the ask. I think that that may be one of the most important gems from this conversation is Mm -hmm. it's important to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And if you ask politely and not in a like, well, I'm awesome and I need, you know, like if you ask mm-hmm. in a way like, hey, I was hoping for a little bit more equity, any chance you can make that happen? Yeah. And like, let's just put the elephant out on the table. I mean, yeah. the best when I think about when I was in HR in 2008 and we had these, you know, things happen in the bank, like the people who negotiated the best were the people who said, hey, listen, I am, I'm not dumb to the fact of what's happening in banking right now. Yeah. I have you know, full empathy of, you know, how hard this mm-hmm. must be. And I'm sure you guys are tightening your belts and, you know, this, that, mm-hmm. and the other thing, like they weren't ignorant to the fact right, yes. that there was an environment, like they acknowledged the environment. Mm-hmm. And it was like, in spite of this environment, mm-hmm. here's what I think I can bring. Like, I remember bringing in an executive where we went back and forth and back and forth on a lot of salary things. And I just remember the person was just really kind yet direct and transparent of, I understand what you're going through. And that is why I'm going to be so valuable here because this is the position that's needed. And this is what I can offer. And I honestly believe that I will bring this value to the organization. 
And they were successful in their negotiation. You know, I think we mm-hmm. bumped their salary like 25,000 from the offer. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's because they approached it in a kind and getting everything on the table and the elephant in the room, like, and in not demanding way. It's the person who comes in it with hubris that usually was like, you know what? We're actually good. We're good. We're good. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Bye-bye. Because uh, that's the thing too. In this market, you can get more candidates. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there are other people out there. So while you want the person you want, you also know that there are others you can want just as much. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a different kind of negotiating. And in yes. my experience, anytime someone was difficult during the uh, hiring process, they're often difficult as employees. So it's always a red flag for me. Shocking. I know. And I tell actually tell that to on the other end to my clients. I mean, I, I joke because there was a time where I was single and I got on online dating. And I remember thinking to myself, online dating is so much like job searching. Like mm-hmm. you, one, mm-hmm. people have never looked more perfect in their life than in their online dating <laughs> profile or in their resume. But I used to tell um, my clients, I'm like, you can learn a lot about an organization by how they treat you in the recruitment process, how long it takes for them to make decisions, the type of questions they ask you walking in, feeling the energy in the room, how they're treating you in negotiations when you want to negotiate, how do they respond to you? I mean, you're going to learn a lot because essentially they're making a decision. So you're learning Mm -hmm. a lot about how they make decisions. And so Kathleen, I'm so glad you said that because we learn a lot about our recruit, you know, uh, our candidates by how they respond and candidates can learn a lot about an employer. Yeah. It's definitely a two-way street, right? Totally. And I've rescinded offers from candidates who did not behave very nicely. And we've had, obviously we've all had people turn down roles that we've offered to them. And maybe part of that was indicators that they had from the process. Yep. Yada, yada, yada. Despite all of our amazing recruiting stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we used to set up um, in our office was everybody knew when candidates were coming in, including the front desk person and people Mm -hmm. who didn't appear to be front desk people, but they were Mm. sitting up front was like, how is this person treating every single person that they encounter? Right. Cause sometimes they'll treat like the front desk or the person they perceive to be the assistant Mm -hmm. really kindly, but maybe not a periphery person. And so like, it was all, you know, staged in that way. And lots of times you would book them to the conference room, kind of around the building just to see how they would interact with people, how they'd wait. I I'm glad that you bring that up because you are always interviewing at every step of the process. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I had, I had moles throughout when I worked in person. I'm like, you tell me if they behave, like you tell me if someone does not behave kindly because mm-hmm. I will pull an offer. I will pull the process so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you're not kind to my people, you're out. Yes. And yes. Yeah. I still do that. Um, it's kind of even remotely, like the person who schedules the person, like uh-huh. whomever you're interacting with, be kind or because yeah. we're watching. So you talk a lot in your blog around confidence. Um, what is confidence? You know, we, we touched on it a bit, but talk a little bit more because especially if you kind of are feeling that imposter syndrome and like, oh my God, please hire me, please hire me. It's hard to project confidence. So what role does confidence play in salary negotiations? You know, I always describe confidence really as trusting yourself. I think a lot of people think that confidence is a feeling and that's what they want. They want to feel confident Mm -hmm. before they do something. But what I really work on with my clients and what I talk about in my book is that, you know, confidence is a side effect of taking action. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the ability to trust ourselves and take right action, even when we feel doubt, even when we feel nervous, even when 
we feel anxious. Mm -hmm. And so the role that confidence plays when I'm really working with my clients is we just like um, honor the fact that you're probably not going to feel confident. You just Mm -hmm. won't. You're stretching your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You're asking for money. We're talking Mm -hmm. about the topic that nobody wants to talk about, which is money, right? You know, it's, it's not like talking about the weather. So I would just plan for and accommodate that there's going to be some discomfort there. You're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel worried. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to wonder if you're, you know, oh my gosh, what are people thinking? But like we can make a solid and successful ask while also feeling nervous, while also feeling doubt. Because as we talked about what happens when you clean out your proverbial sock drawer, right? Then you feel confident. Mm-hmm. I said no to that thing that wasn't served me. I feel confident. I made that ask. Mm-hmm. I asked for $150,000 and I know it's in market and I know I can bring it. It was outside my comfort zone. I made the ask. I stayed silent. Like that's the confidence. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I encourage folks to really think about is, you know what, if you wait to feel confident before you do anything, you won't do anything. So this is how do we trust ourselves to make the right asks and do the right things in alignment with our values, knowing that the confidence is a side effect of taking action. I love that perspective. Me too. Me too. Yeah, that's awesome. Kelly, I feel like we could just talk forever, um, but we do need to wrap and we want you to be able to plug away. So tell our audience where they can find you. Yeah. So the best place to find me is at kellyraythompson.com. I'm Kelly with an I, R-A-E. Um, lots of free stuff there. I actually have a free salary negotiation guide. So if you mm-hmm. like want all of this in a big one spot, you can you can download it. And then I love to hang out on Instagram and LinkedIn and I'm at forward slash Kelly Ray Thompson. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you you so much. Thank you. you. Great chat. I love, I feel like everybody got the insider details today from us. So (laughs) awesome. Fabulous. Thank you. And until next time. This is Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and real job talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Facebook and Instagram at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kathleen Nelson-Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat. And on LinkedIn, I'm Kathleen Nelson-Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm Liz B. Consult. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is produced by John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And thanks for joining us. Until next time.